Hey, welcome to another episode of the DC Beer Show. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode today. I'm all by myself. Adam's not here. Mike Stein's not here. Jake Berg's not here. Brandy, who joined us for our last live episode uh, at Silver Branch, couldn't make it today. So it's just me. But I'm here with a great guest that I have wanted to have on the show for quite a while. I'm here with Katie Marisic who is the government affairs, uh, you're the, Fed, tell us. Federal affairs manager for the Brewers Association, or yes. as I call myself, the lobbyist. The lobbyist <laughs> for the Brewers Association. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today and for coming on the show. I'm glad to be here, though. I think I would have been happier if I would have also been doing this at Silver Branch, too. Right, <laughs> right. Yes, we're not even drinking beers right now because no. it's been a long day, and uh, which is the perfect time to drink beer, but I didn't have a chance to go get any. And frankly, we have beer here at the studio, but they don't clean the lines and I don't drink it. So uh, that's one of those things we learn, right? Uh, but anyway, we're here to talk today about two big things that I really want to focus on. The first is the 2019 uh, sort of legislative cycle, what the Brewers Association was really working on and how all of that went in what is officially the last the last congressional year. And then let's look at 2020 and see what are going to be the priorities for the Brewers Association. If you listen to the show, you, we've had folks from the Brewers Association on the show. And of course, we have had Paul Dean, who's head of the Brewers Guild here in D.C. We've ta- we talk a lot about sort of the legislative and legal issues related to craft beer and breweries. So let's start, Katie, by talking about about 2019. What were the big priorities in 2019 for the Brewers Association on Capitol Hill, national national priorities? Happy to, yeah. So our federal priorities in 2019 are going to sound very similar to our federal priorities in 2020. <laughs> it's the Great. joy of working with a trade association <laughs> on federal issues. It can be the same thing for the next 30 years, and then all of a sudden something comes out of the left field that you get to you get to work on and sort of hone your chops at. Our number one issue is something called the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this is a piece of legislation that parts of, or well, actually, language of is currently in effect, uh, and the language specifically lowers federal excise taxes for small and independent breweries and also large breweries. So the way the tax structure is set up in the United States, back in the 70s, when there were not as many breweries as there currently are on are now, Congress was looking at federal excise taxes on alcohol and specifically on beer. Well, can I interrupt you for yeah. a second? Will you do me a favor and just because obviously our listeners are mostly beer people. Yeah. Explain it what an excise tax is sure specifically. Thing. Oh, I'm so happy to explain what an excise <laughs> tax is. I don't think people know how much of the product of beer is taxed. Now, regular taxes that we pay, payroll taxes, income taxes, different things like that. Breweries pay them all and we're happy to do it. Excise taxes are an additional tax. That is paid by breweries, wineries, distilleries, some other groups as well. It currently was put into place to pay for the Civil War. Uh Um, And for those of you from Pennsylvania or maybe those of you who are history majors, I know Mike Stein's not here. (laughs) uh, You might remember hearing about the Whiskey Rebellion Mm -hmm. when you were growing up. And the Whiskey Rebellion was actually done over excise taxes on whiskey. We're still paying excise taxes to this day. Uh, And it's an additional tax that is – it's a big part of what breweries are paying and then, of course, what the consumers are also paying when they are – 
when they are purchasing beer. Right. So so basically, it's a tax on a specific product. Yes, um, it is. That the government says, okay, we're going to tax this specific mm-hmm. thing. Uh, for whatever reason they have, but but we're going to place a specific tax on this product. Absolutely. And uh, federal excise taxes are a thing, as are state excise Mm -hmm. taxes. And for certain counties or cities, if you're lucky enough to be brewing there, you might also be be paying an excise tax there as well. Wow. So you can have excise on municipal, Mm -hmm. state, and federal level. That is correct. Not everybody has that, to be clear. Federal, everybody is, but depends on where you live on the municipal and state side. Correct. And uh, the Brewers Association, for a pretty long time, our stance is that excise taxes should not exist. But this is Washington, D.C., and that's not necessarily a feasible situation. So we thought it would make a lot of sense if excise taxes for small and independent brewers would be lower than what they currently are. Mm -hmm. And there is a structure set into place that uh, breweries that produce less than 2 million barrels of beer a year their first 60,000 barrels are taxed differently than the barrelage above that and the barrelage for breweries that are larger than that 2 million or who import beer into the United States. Mm-hmm. That structure has been in place since 1976 when Congress was like, hey, we really should try and incentivize more medium-sized breweries within our country. There were a lot of very large breweries back at that time, a few very small, most likely brew pubs, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to see that grow within the U.S. The good news is is that long-term, it has worked. Right. Uh, We are currently at over 8,000 small and independent breweries in the country. At least as of last year, there was a net of two new breweries opening every day in the United States. Wow. And we've finally hit the point where there are as many breweries per capita as there were back before Prohibition. And I think it was around the end of 2015 when we hit more breweries than the United States has ever had. And I think that number was 4,144 breweries. Wow. wow. So we just crossed that. I'm going to reiterate that because mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's not a statistic that I, I've heard. But we've just per capita, the number of breweries yep. per capita in the U.S. is now equal to or exceeding yep. pre-prohibition. Yes. So we're finally over that horrible prohibition thing. We have finally gotten past it, which, by the way, I believe today is the 100th anniversary of prohibition going into effect. Really? Or at least we're within 100 years of prohibition having gone into effect. It was 1920. Right. So. Wow. That's a marker of a time that we don't want to go back to, which hopefully is part of my job to make sure that Congress is fully aware of how great our industry is, both for the national level, but also in local communities as well. Because having all of those breweries, the wonderful thing about it is there, I believe in all congressional districts, there might be one holdout in Manhattan only because cost of real estate is Mm. too much. Uh, But Small towns all across the country have these little manufacturing facilities in their downtowns that are spurring economic impact. And we wanted to help them continue to create that economic impact. That's one of the reasons that we were pushing for and were and still are pushing to pass the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act and make lower excise tax rates for breweries permanent. Great. So that law... Craft uh, moderate, crap. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to get it right again. We call it, uh, they call it Kaboomtra internally. I hate that. I just call <laughs> it the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act of 2019. Of 2019. <laughs> and so what it does is it sets lower excise 
tax rates for smaller breweries, mm-hmm. basically. It makes it easier for smaller breweries to make a profit because they're paying less taxes on the br- beer that they're producing uh, than a larger brewery. The more beer you produce, if I understand this correctly, the more beer you produce, so it's it's low up to 60,000 barrels mm-hmm. or lower, 60,000 to whatever the next threshold is, the tax is higher. And then once you get over 220 million barrels or whatever that number is, then it's the highest tax rate. So it's yeah. it's graduated or what's the other word? Progressive. Graduated uh, not progressive. Or pro- I not think progress- it's graduated. Graduated. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, yeah, the way that it's set up is beer structure is uh, that 2 million barrels, your first 60,000, you pay $3.50. Before that, uh, well, before some language went into effect, breweries were paying $7 a barrel. So that first 60000 for domestic breweries producing less than $2 million, cut in half. Everything above that, previous rates were $18 a barrel, went down to $16 a barrel. Okay. That $16 a barrel is from 60000 for the small breweries up to the $2 million. But then for large breweries and importers who used to pay $18 a barrel across the board and larges – um, our definition is anyone over six million in this bill. It's anyone over two million. Uh, they went from eighteen dollars a barrel to sixteen dollars a barrel. So even if it's a small brewery located in Russia, they are mm. going to be. They were paying eighteen dollars a barrel. Now they're paying sixteen dollars a barrel in anything that they import into yeah. the United States. Got it. So in 2017, we were able to get language from the craft beverage bill passed as a a two-year provision that was set to expire at the end of 2019, and it went into effect immediately. It passed at the end of December, and on January 1st, started paying those lower excise taxes on Mm -hmm. anything produced in January going forward. And it's been really great for our members, and it's been great in job creation as well. We've seen it as a success story. I've worked in politics for a long time. I've always been lucky enough to work for things that I care about. It's always really nice when you say something's going to have an impact and it has that positive impact. Right. So the number one thing that people were doing with the savings from the excise tax recalibration was reinvesting back in their business, buying new equipment. Across the board, number one thing people were mm-hmm. buying was canning lines. Uh-huh. Um, Read it, building out their tasting rooms. Some people were purchasing bottling lines, new tanks, brew houses, and whatnot. So that was 2017 when it went in? Uh, 2018. 2018, yeah. January when 2018. Yeah, we, we did a survey of our members, and we were asking them how they, how they were using these funds. That was the first thing. Uh, over 70% have been doing that. Next, hiring new employees. That came, and you can look it up in our uh, 2018 Economic Impact Report. Before the uh, excise tax was recalibrated, on average, just from new breweries opening, we were creating about 5,000 new jobs every year. In 2018, uh, 15,000 wow. new jobs Triple were created. the number of new jobs yeah. thanks to the lower excise tax. And we know for sure that some of that is from new breweries opening, but it's also because people felt more confident that they had money to hire new people and just a little bit more room to breathe. Well, it also, I mean, in terms of sort of seeing the boom in, in breweries, when you're doing the math on what, it's, what you're going to have to do to have a successful, profitable brewery to stay in business – if you know that the taxes are going to be that low in 20, you know, as you're thinking yeah. about it in 2017, and that changes your your calculus of what you can afford to do and what it's going to take to be profitable. Yep. And, you know, for anybody listening to this show, who, who all of us who go to breweries on a regular basis, it was visible 
to us, right? It's Great. visible <laughs> between 2018 and last year how much investment was made in the breweries that we, we like to visit. I mean, here in town, if you look at a place like Three Stars, and I'm not going to ascribe any specific motives to any of the things Fair that enough, Three Stars yeah. have done. I don't know their, their specific business practices. But, but you look at over those two years, mm-hmm. 20, all of 2018 and all of 2019 – how much they expanded and the whole new, you know, beer garden that they've opened yep. that's absolutely gorgeous. I, I know that, that the money that they had available as a result of those taxes sort of made that kind of build out mm-hmm. possible. So that's that's a tangible example of what you're saying. Yeah, and that's so helpful to say too, because some of those things consumers might not have seen firsthand, but they would have tasted. We mm-hmm. also heard a lot of people investing more in quality control and quality assurance which is great. I mean, that's what we want. We want more beer and we want the beer to taste great. So that's really nice. Investing in your labs, hiring someone who who is, you know, with a chemistry or scientific background that can help with those types of things. That's, yeah, that is awesome. And another thing that we want is to see people investing in their employees more. That was the third thing that people were doing with that money. We heard about people offering dental insurance, people doing more 401ks, different stuff like that that they're able to offer their employees who are already there. So, wow, hiring more people Mm -hmm. went from 5,000 to 15,000 after this change. In 2018, it was 15,000. And and then making sure that the that those new people actually have more value in the job. Yep. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, I think that's an important thing and it's hopefully something that you see continue to grow in the industry. I mean, as we get more mature as an industry, you want to see that people who are doing these jobs are want to stick around mm-hmm. and want to stay within the industry. Uh, and then the fourth one, which I think is great because we were already doing this, but people are doing it more, is that people were investing more into local chari- local and national charities. Oh, wow. Um, so those are, those are good things that are core values that we wanted to, wanted to keep, keep encouraging people to do, and that's what they were able to do. Right. That's the basis of sort of American business, yeah. right? It's yeah. Like if it's, it's what when you reduce a tax like that on mm-hmm. business, that's what's sort of supposed to happen is those businesses are supposed to invest in growing their businesses and R&D and in jobs and job security. And yep. that's what happens. So that's a, that's a fantastic victory. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is it wasn't just something that only impacted breweries directly. We saw it go down the line. And, and I will say, so this, this legislation was set to sunset at the end of 2019. So mm-hmm. our number one victory in 2019 was getting it extended another year. Excellent. Uh, we were able to really make that case to Congress that this was important. It's something that could potentially be detrimental to the industry. Now, look, it did not lower the cost of alcohol. It would have been virtually impossible to do. Sure. I was doing math on the back of a napkin <laughs> one day and I was like, I think at like 0.05 of a cent per beer of a six pack where I was like, okay, like this is something that's definitely about breweries reinvesting money and not about lowering the cost of alcohol. Now, can I interrupt you there? Yeah. Because I I want to dig into that. Was that, is that one of the bigger arguments against this that you were hearing on the Hill is people saying, well, it's going to make booze, it's going to make alcohol cheaper, beer cheaper, and that's going to make more people drink. I had heard that argument once in 2015 on the Small Brew Act Mm -hmm. and it was like that that's not the case that's okay, not what we're looking to do right. and i think once people started started looking into it more and hearing what people were saying they were like okay that's that's not Well i do happen. want i, I want to ask about that but but yeah. but go ahead and and can sort of keep mm-hmm. talking about that extension yeah 
So for every one new job that's created in the brewing industry, there are additional jobs that come into other industries for that. And the one that I'm most proud of, and maybe it's just because I'm from central Pennsylvania, uh, is for every new job that's created in the brewing industry, there's a new job created in the agricultural industry. Oh, cool. So as you know, I mean, hops, barley, extremely important to, to beer. The United States is the number one producer of aroma hops in the world. And that, I think, has a lot to do with innovation within the industry, also with, you know, the weather and the land in places like mm-hmm. Washington and Idaho and, and Oregon. Um, and then barley, uh, barley, North Dakota, Montana. But we're starting to see some of some of these smaller producers grow locally because that's what consumers want. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's that's really, really neat to go to a place like New York and hear them and get to learn more about the the barley growing that's happening up there. Cornell is known so much for the research that they do into growing wine grapes. They also have um, they also have a lot more um, agricultural thing about growing hops and growing barley, which is Pretty cool to me. Virginia Tech also has that. The University of Maryland is yeah, doing is Maryland. doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, even locally here, and mo- a lot of the breweries that we talk to uh, on the show and otherwise, they all talk about either their programs mm-hmm. to acquire as many ingredients for all of their beers locally as possible, or in a lot of cases, they have one beer that they really concentrate on, and a hundred percent of the ingredients of that beer are local. And it's it is consumer driven, mm-hmm. but it's also, I think, a bigger. It speaks to the philosophy of most of the brewers that we know who think about things like climate change. They think about mm-hmm. carbon footprints. They think about what the other costs of producing beer can be. Yeah. Uh, and buying locally, if you can get barley locally, mm-hmm. if you can get hops locally, why not? Yeah. And that leads into one of the other things that we work on on the federal level is we do work very closely with hop growers and barley growers on securing funding for them to research different kinds of varietals of hops and barley that are disease resistant and can grow in other regions. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, the National Barley Growers are in town next week. The Hop Growers of America, the National Barley Improvement Committee, the Hop Research Council all come to D.C. We actually do a really great caucus event. Normally, we have Alex Barth from Barth Haas come. He brings different varietals of hops. We bring the beer that matches those varietals. People get to come. They get to rub the hops and sniff them like they were if they were in Yakima, nice. uh, going out for a hop sensory situation. And it's a great way for us to talk about how how brewers are choosing hops, but also how they're grown, um, how I know they hate to be called hop dealers, um, (laughs) (laughs) but how people choose different things and what they're working on. And we're in such an interesting time where I think last year was the first year ever that Cascade was not the number one Mm -hmm. hop Mm -hmm. grown. Um, And we're looking at Citra and Mosaic and other different types of hops that came from Oh, we also, you know, get a little bit into the private versus public hop varietals. Sure. We've been working with them to really help secure funding. And the Brewers Association has also, on its own, been providing research grants right. to some of those. So I think we did $400,000 in grants were awarded or announced last week. And those went to mm-hmm. hop research, barley research, and uh, draft quality, which hopefully will help you guys here. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Um, um, and it's been very cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's really interesting to hear about all of the different 
things that you guys do that you're doing across the industry, not just with brewers, but also with with the agricultural side of it. And it's and it's great to hear that part of what you're doing for legislators mm-hmm. is quantifying the impact that brewers and breweries small craft breweries have on communities. One of the things that I find interesting that's really relevant to this is, you know, every time I travel, I try to catch, I try to go to a local brewery, right? Of course. Um, And I have family in Texas and I have family in Alabama and I go there often and particularly Alabama, we tend to drive a lot. It's a beautiful drive from from Washington, D.C. to Alabama through the Appalachians. It's really, really nice. But we stop in small towns, and every small town we stop in now has a local brew pub. That's awesome. It's fantastic. (laughs) They're not all great, but a lot of them are. Yeah. Um, But more importantly, you can see that that's not just creating jobs, but those breweries are in these little small towns are doing the exact same thing that we see breweries in our metropolitan area doing. They're doing fundraising events for local charities and communities. They're doing art sales for local artists. They're integrating the brewery into the community and serving as both sort of, in many cases, sort of a town hall environment, Mm -hmm. right? I always like that, like, again, from the history perspective. I mean, that's what breweries were back in the day. They were taverns. It was where a lot of political things happened. It was where it was a gathering place for the community. And I like seeing I like seeing that now too. Also in brewery art, I am addicted to it. <laughs> um, our house is filled with art that I purchased at breweries. I love it. That's um, and I I would say I'm going to keep buying it. So keep putting out local artists because I have stuff from all over. That's fantastic. And I just think it's yeah. the coolest thing. That is great. All right. Let's get back to the legislative yes. side. So last year you were successful with the – I know it came down to the yep. wire. It was down to the wire, but you did convince Congress to extend the act for a year. Yes. So now <laughs> – now – well, so maybe not write this minute. <laughs> our push for the whole year was to make the legislation permanent. Right. Congress, I mean, I know you'll be surprised to hear this, doesn't always accomplish the things that you want them to accomplish. Um, but they did see that it was important enough that they needed to push push that deadline back a little farther right. or else small breweries really would have been impacted by that. There were 2,000 breweries that opened in those two years that mm-hmm. had never paid the higher federal sure. excise tax. And I'm, you know, I know that there will be people who say, well, you, you shouldn't create a business model around that. I don't necessarily think they did. I didn't think they'd all shut down tomorrow. But it would impact their innovation. It would impact their growth. Right. Um, and it's something that it's my job to make sure that that's being communicated and hopefully where possible keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. So um, 2020, you're still in the fight to make this permanent. Absolutely. And All that right. will that will be my fight for 2020 for sure. And I have already started. Uh, yeah. Started day one. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Well, let me ask about, I mean, right now there's not anything happening on Capitol Hill that is related to any kind of legislation. <laughs> uh, I won't go into specifics, but I think everyone knows what I mean. But I'm trying to understand what the arguments against this are, and other than the obvious, you know, the government needs to generate revenue and we should be generating revenue anywhere yeah. we can. So um, uh, some of the arguments, and there were not many, uh, actually, I could say for almost the first three years that we were really pushing for the bill to get done, there were none. Hmm. Um, once it was coming close to its sort of two year, uh, once it was coming close to getting that two year provision, uh, we did start to hear some concerns that were actually like, we think this could lower the cost of alcohol and mm-hmm. more alcohol producers mean that more people will be drinking alcohol. 
and it's bad. There was also an initial concern that it was going to cost much more than the actual numbers have shown that it's going to cost. Mm. And that gets into a little bit of the nitty-gritty, though, depending on DC people who are watching this or (laughs) listening to this. Um, Hopefully you're not watching. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who are listening to this. Uh, Your bills, bills get scored. Mm-hmm. And that is when a group called the Joint Committee on Taxation looks at a bill and estimates what they think it will cost the federal government in lost revenue over time. And when we, we actually had the bill scored a few times and the first time it came out a number completely different than what the number came out to be the second time. Um, and we have well, it's we more have, of an art than a science. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I and and to their credit, you know, they they have met with us and talked to us. We have provided them with data and information that they they had not they had not had before. But we're at the point now where we have, I think, soon we'll have almost two years of collection data from the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau right. that show, you know, it it actually is not at the level that they thought it would be at. So they're making more money than they. Anticipated than they anticipated yes. than, than the scoring mm-hmm. anticipated. And by the way, just to point out for listeners who don't know, the, that Joint Tax Authority is an entirely nonpartisan, yes, uh, independent organization. Mm-hmm. So it's not governed by you know a, any kind of partisan philosophy. It's a bunch. Yep. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of economists and and, and yes. thoughtful people <laughs> who are literally trying to do the math and get it right every time. They're really nice too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just it's it, in, yeah. This, in these this day and age, it's all I find it's always important to sort of explain to people that mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that happens in government that is totally removed from the right. political stuff that's happening. Well, and this is also a group. Um, and I, this is not me out here to defend the JCT, but I do like them a lot, and I think they do interesting work. Uh, you know, they have to turn stuff around mm-hmm. in 24 hours. It's like, hey, here's a bill. We want to pass it. How much is it going to cost? You're just like, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, and then somebody's like, oh, but here's an amendment. <laughs> yes. So there's a <laughs> lot of data flying around. And uh, they did actually rescore the bill. The Ways and Means Committee put together something called HR 3301 last year, did a markup on it, and included a one-year extension of our language. And it came back much more accurate to what that initial score had been thought to Great. be. So Great. So we're good there. Yeah. So we're still trying to get this permanent. Mm-hmm. What do you think the chances are this year of getting it permanent versus getting another extension? There's only a few things going on this year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. It is an election year. Right. And, it, you know, I sort of say that Congress can be like any given Sunday. Mm. You just always need to be prepared. And I think we are. And I think that's what we're going to keep trying to do. So for us, sharing the stories from our individual brewery members about what they have been using the recalibrated savings for and the important thing about how the year to year impacts what they're planning to do. Right. We're small businesses and small businesses thrive on consistency. So if year after year after year after year, you're getting to December 20th or December 23rd Mm -hmm. and you don't know what your estimated taxes are going to be for the following year. That will impact some of the decisions that you make. It will impact a lot of decisions that you make, actually. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't mean to yeah, be cr- – like I'm not arguing with you. I'm thinking it through and going, yeah, yeah like you can't and, um, make a lot of decisions. We're interesting in the fact that alcohol, alcohol producers actually pay their taxes differently than a lot of other businesses. 
So depending on your size, you can pay biweekly, mm-hmm. quarterly, or annually. So the smallest of the small, the smallest, smallest breweries, if you're less than a thousand barrels of beer a year, you have the ability to pay your taxes annually. Right. Um, then on the opposite side, we have members within our association who are paying bi-monthly, which means on January, in January, they would automatically start paying the higher tax. Wow. A lot of other groups you'll hear about pay their taxes on April 15th, the same way the rest of us pay our taxes. Mm-hmm. So they have a little bit more leeway. With when a piece of legislation can go into effect, maybe they can do it in March of that year and right. it will cover what they paid the previous year. does not work that way for the alcohol industry. So that is that is on us to make sure that we're educating Congress about. Right. And we also want to let them know about the jobs. We want them to know that this will have a real impact on people who they represent. It's not just going to be in one particular area. It is going to be in every single community. And I think I think that resonates. Obviously, I'm sure you all have seen that breweries are very popular places to visit, both for just everyday people, but also for people who are running for election. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, of course it is. They're really they're they're interesting. You get to learn a lot. It's manufacturing. There's an agricultural component to it. There's a retail component to it. And it's a place where people are. There's also that manufacturing component, which Mm -hmm. is something that when I first started getting involved in this, it took me a while to get my head around is if you look at a at a small brewery mm-hmm. with a good tap room, which most breweries that I know of, that you know, that w- in the size that we're really talking about, who are really affected by this, mm-hmm. you know, it's a combination of manufacturing and retail yeah. and agriculture that is pretty rare in in our society these days. I mean, it's really you know, there's not a lot of places you can go and see sort of three industries converging into one experience for people. So yeah. It's it's pretty rare and it's it's exceptional and it's very American I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, so I, I'm glad that I'm glad that there are receptive ears on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill to the kinds of arguments that you are making about the value of keeping these these excise taxes a, at a lower level. Yeah, and I mean I'm not going to pretend to do it on my own at all. I have thousands of amazing brewery breweries out there who are our members who are really excited to share what they are doing with people. And, you know, we have uh, the House Small Brewers Caucus and the Senate Small Bipartisan Brewers Caucus. House Small Brewers Caucus is the largest special interest caucus in Washington, D.C. Wow. And the tagline straight up is, beer is bipartisan. (laughs) Uh, One of our co-chairs, Pete DeFazio uh, Mm -hmm. from Oregon, loves loves to remind people that we are one of the few bipartisan things left in (laughs) Washington, D.C. And with 8,000 breweries, you have people who span the gamut of different politics. And that means that you might have a super liberal brewery in an extremely conservative member of Congress's district or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it comes down to it, I think people are interested in sharing what it is they're doing and what they're creating because they're proud of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and that is that's really sort of helpful when you're doing my job. Right. We're, we're running out of time, but I want to talk about um, one event that you guys do every year that I want to make sure everybody who listens to this show knows about because I think people can come oh, yeah. and participate in this. And I think you know the event I'm talking about. It, it's related to the, your caucus, to the caucuses. 
Yes. Are you talking about Saver or my hill climb? <laughs> to- oh, wow. Actually, uh, so I'm not talking about Saver, okay. which we're going to be talking about a lot on this show and yeah. at DCBeer.com over the next weeks. Actually, you should check DCBeer.com right now for our first review of the breweries at Saver, right. which uh, when this episode is out, will have come out just a couple of days before. Okay. So uh, check out DCBeer.com for that. Then we can talk about the hill climb, which if you're not familiar with what a hill climb is, Katie's going to tell us about that. But then don't you have a brewing contest? Oh, yeah. My hill staff homebrew competition. Yes. All right. So let's start with the hill, with the hill climb because I want people to know about that. And, and a lot of folks, if, you're not, if you haven't worked in politics, and I worked in politics for years and years and years and years and, years and decades. Um, so I, I'm excited about these yeah. things. But a lot of folks don't know what this is. Yeah. So it's something that almost all trade associations do. And we do an event called the, our Hill Climb in conjunction with Saver. So mm-hmm. when breweries from across the country are coming to Washington, D.C., we also encourage them to come in early and we set up meetings with their legislators or legislative staff. And they go and they meet with Congress and they tell them about the different issues that are impacting them. And essentially, they, they come and do grassroots lobbying. Which right. is really cool and really fun because we also combine it with a reception, which everybody loves. Uh-huh. Uh, is there beer at the reception? There is some beer at the reception, which is well-received. It's such a neat event. I mean, I love Savor. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's great. But also, it's really fun for me because I get to share what I'm doing every day with all of our bre- with brewery members from around the country. Also, we work really closely with uh, our state brewers guilds. Mm-hmm. They all, We almost get, I think, all all 50 states coming to Washington, D.C. They also go to the Hill and advocate. Then there's a guild gathering afterwards. And then there are all these really cool events that are are spawned off of Savor that are happening around town. Right. So I get to go drink fun beer from all over the country. And then we have this great event at Savor, which is going to be at the Anthem this year. Yes, yeah, very excited. I think will be very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody um, should get your tickets. They're coming out soon. Check D.C. Beer for more information. Yeah. But, but you got to get tickets to this. It's totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other event that you're talking about. This, Wait, oh, I want to yeah, say go, one more go. thing. I want I want to throw in my my two cents in on the on on the hill climb because there's nothing that impacts a legislator more um, than hearing from actual constituents. You can go as a lobbyist and talk to their staff and talk to them all day long, and they'll yep. listen and they'll do their job. But you represent a trade, mm-hmm. and that trade may not be something that they recognize. I mean, they know that they've got breweries in their district or their state, sure, but it's not its not necessarily tangible to mm-hmm. them. And for a lot of them, they don't spend as much time as, of course, they'd like because they're here all the time. When you can bring a, a brewery or two breweries or represented, representatives of brewing in their district to sit down with them and say, no, no, we live in your district. Yeah. We make beer. We hired 10 new people mm-hmm. last year because of this. That has more impact than just about anything else I think you can do. Absolutely. Um, so so that's I'm really gr- grateful that you guys do that, and, and it well, sounds like tons of fun. It's one of those things. And do a shout-out to our membership team and also our economist. I, they're fantastic. So I have lists of all the breweries in people's congressional districts, and I had an event <laughs> at the beginning great. of this year, and I was telling a member of Congress about breweries in his district, and he's like, I don't think I have any. And I just whipped out my cell phone and pulled out the list. He's like, I have 10 breweries in my district. It's like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's go visit some of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it's it's pretty great. Having a constituent talk about an issue is yeah. very important. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about the homebrew contest. Yeah. This is something that 
I was the, – the Brewers Association also is affiliated and represents the American Home Brewers Association. Mm-hmm. And they're they're awesome and yep. it's a lot of fun. And I actually went to the AHA conference when it was in Baltimore and I actually get to go and present at the one in uh, Nashville this year. So oh, excellent. I'm super excited about it. But I mean homebrewing is such a big part of our industry and how we've gotten where we are today, both as people who are brewing their own beer, but enthusiasts who are so supportive of the industry and many times starting their own breweries, yeah. which is which is just great. And looking for ways to make sure that they're involved in and sort of involved in what's happening because at the federal legislative area and talking with one of the AHA people who runs competitions, John Moorhead, we came up with an idea that wouldn't it be really cool if we did a homebrew competition? And it spurred from when the AHA director, Gary Glass, came to D.C. to talk about the history of homebrewing at at a caucus meeting that Mm -hmm. we put together. And... We've started and it's it's really grown. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those things that were like, will anyone participate? How will this be? First year, the beer was <laughs> – there was good beer and there was beer that could be great. Um, <laughs> well said. Yeah. And then the next year, it was a little better. And then the year after that, we had more people. This is the first year. So we, we had started – just trying to cap registration at 50 different beer, 50 different people signing up. And this was the first year that we went past that. Wow. We were like, if more people want to compete, we want them to compete. And it was really, really fun because we've got this trophy that looks like the bill from Capitol Hill, but his little badge just says beer instead oh. of bill. And it's really <laughs> fun. And we do best in show. And the the office who won best in show, someone from Charlie Crist's office, they named the beer uh, – I believe it was Space Cow, because in his district, mm-hmm. there is NASA and there are manatees. Um, <laughs> nice. And the office showed up all wearing T-shirts with the beer name on it. And, you know, I think he he knew he had made a beer that was going to win. And wow. they it, it's just fun seeing people kind of let loose and really enjoy a little bit of healthy competition, which they have a lot of in the Hill. Right. But it, it's a great event and it's a great way to educate about homebrewing, educate about the Brewers Association, but also give give staff the ability to try something new. And we serve the beer at the, at the events. Mm-hmm. And we also, when we do our congressional fly-in, we have a homebrew club come and they also serve beer at the event. So we oh, try fantastic. and really make sure that we're incorporating them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, doing doing that helps take the idea of brewing out of sort of this like businesses making alcohol yeah. kind of concept too that I think some representatives and some mm-hmm. senators, if they don't really know, if they're not somebody who enjoys you know, yep. a, a craft beer, they might not be aware of that. But seeing like staffers, you know, making beer at home yep. <laughs> and, and being so passionate about it and so excited about it, I think it does present a different perspective or an additional perspective on what this is all about. Yeah. And we try to give them enough time to do it. We start pushing this in June for uh, an event that's in November or December. Actually, yeah. in November, we also do a caucus event uh, in conjunction with Learn to Homebrew Day. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. that is that was only in its second year this year. The first year we did it, we made the mistake of actually having it on congressional grounds. And it was during um, a Supreme Court nomination Uh-oh. hearing. So never again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've got a great location for it right off the hill. Everything's set up. We have local homebrew clubs and they walk people through how you brew beer. And it's just it's it's just really cool to get to get to share that with 
with staff and with members of Congress because they're interested in learning. And it's also a good way to promote our local homebrew clubs because a lot of people don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. a few staffers then who went and joined the local D.C. homebrewers. Oh, that's great. And it, we were trying to we're trying to make it easier for people to learn how to brew beer if it's something they want to do, because obviously in D.C., it's not like you're you've got a big house in the suburbs and you can fill up your garage with your equipment. Right. Um, but getting people to know know other people that have it and learn to do it, it takes a little bit of that that scariness or that barrier to entry away. Well, that sounds like tons of fun. It's I, awesome. I mean, you guys are doing some great <laughs> stuff, and and we all all of us who benefit from the hard work you're doing every single day appreciate what you do. And that's appreciate. really nice to say. Thank you. Oh no, it's we, I mean it wholeheartedly. I understand what your job is like, and 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 how complex and difficult. And and I'm not sure our listeners who who aren't familiar with sort of how how legislation works really understand that as you said before you, you always have to expect the unexpected you never know what's going to happen this is not this is not like brewing right if you right. do all of the things right in brewing and everything is clean and you've done everything right you should end up with drinkable product it may not be the best tasting thing because you may <laughs> not have the best recipe or you may be new at it or all those things but if you do everything right it'll be drinkable at the end mm-hmm. and you can say yeah i have something drinkable lobbying especially on an issue like this uh, is not Everything can be going hunky dory one week and crashing the next week, and then wonderful, and then it's, it's oh, so yeah. so. It's I personally really appreciate what you do, what the Brewers Association does, and I think everybody who really understands really does. So thank you very much for doing all of that. Um, and I guess we're out of time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, it, Katie. Thank you so much for coming uh, and talking to us about this. Uh, keep please keep us informed about as as these events come and what's happening on the hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last question I'll have is: Is there anything our listeners can do? to help you get uh, this legislation passed, permanent, what can folks do? Ooh, if you are in touch with your members of Congress, tell them that you care about your local brewery and that you want to see their federal excise tax rates made permanent so they can keep growing and making great beer. Also, we do have something called Support Your Local Brewer, and that's something that we've put together to help at the state level Um, more than anything else. And what it will do is if there's any issues happening in your state that are positive for the breweries in your state or negative for them, we'll alert you and you can decide whether or not you want to reach out to your local legislators. So brewersassociation.org, support your local brewer, sign up for that. We only email you if it's something very, very important that's being directed from the guilds, but it's a great easy way that you can help promote, promote brewing in your state. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, check the show notes for this show for a link to that. We'll make sure it's in there. Katie Marissa, thank you. thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your being here. And remember, folks, you can get all the information you need about everything happening in the DMV at dcbeer.com or on the social medias at DCBeer. Thanks for listening. Come back next week. Bye now. Mm-hmm.